Good morning. Good morning. It's connecting. There we go. I think I'm on. Good morning. Welcome this morning. My name is Matt Trumbull. I am filling in. I'm one of the elders here at Big Woods. Tim had something to do yesterday, and so we thought we should uh, thought we should uh, give him a little break this Sunday. Congratulations to Ben and Sarah. Um, usually, when I fill in. The first team is not in attendance, and uh, twice now today, Pastor Tim's here, and now I see another Pastor Boger. I mean, come on. All right, it's a little uh, little challenging, but um, that's good. I, I hope they uh, appreciate um, what is spoken uh, this morning. And so, uh, happy Pastor Appreciation Month to you pastors. This is a, this is a great month to be reminded to bless, uh, show appreciation for, to pray for our pastors. I think we can too easily take for granted what God has blessed us with, and particularly in the way of leadership here at church. And so, as I preach this morning and as, and as we go through God's Word, I want just to keep in the back of our mind our appreciation for our pastor and how that works out in what is, in what is read this morning. Now, not the first place I want, but as I was studying and and, uh, and researching for this sermon, I, I did go to Google and I typed in a day in the life of a pastor. Well, like the first seven hits were, I may be an exaggeration, the first several hits, I reckon to be accurate, um, were this story right here. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to go ahead and, and read this and it'll, it'll work, it'll launch us. And so um, this is a, a true story. It was on the internet, so it must be. Um, and the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the names have been uh, changed to protect Everybody. So the morning, it's Thursday morning. After midweek Bible study the night before, Pastor Doug breathes a sigh of relief. He has a clear calendar and aberration in his typical busy schedule. Actually, the calendar's not really clear. He has set aside this morning to finish his Sunday sermon. His Bible open and his study aids are nearby. Minutes after he starts, the phone rings. His assistant tells him about a car accident involving a family in the church. The ambulances are already on their way to the hospital. Doug leaves his study materials on his desk and jumps into his car. On the way to the hospital, his assistant calls him. The entire Godsey family of five was in the car. And while four of them are not hurt, Gary, the family's father and husband, is in grave condition. Well, Doug walks into the waiting room and the family has just learned that their husband and father didn't make it. They see their pastor and they run to him sobbing. Doug is there for him. He stays with the family for many hours until he's certain that enough relatives and friends are around to care for them. By now it's afternoon and Doug stops back at the parsonage. He sees his wife. He grabs a quick sandwich and and not sure he can return to his sermon preparation. He knows he must fight emotional exhaustion and finish. However, as he walks back into his office, his assistant apologetically tells him that two different people want to speak to him, and both consider it urgent. Doug meets with the two men. One of them is the worship leader of the church. Go figure. He is struggling with his ministry, and he's considering giving up. For two hours, Doug listens and consoles and attempts to encourage his staff member. The next visitor catches Doug off guard. George is one of the key lay leaders in the congregation. Doug considers him a friend and a vital part of their leadership. George struggles to speak as he chokes out. My wife is having an affair. There are no more words for 15 minutes, just tears and sobs. 
Doug stays with George for hours, and they pray together, and they talk about next steps. By now, it's nearly 5 in the afternoon, and Doug is too drained to attempt to get back to his sermon. Instead, he decides to check his crowded email box. Although he cringes when he sees the name of one center, he cannot help himself from opening the message. One of Doug's most frequent critics has two complaints. First, concerning uh, last Sunday's sermon. The the second addresses Doug's failure to visit her sister-in-law, who had minor outpatient surgery yesterday. The sister-in-law is not a member of the church, and Doug didn't know about the surgery. By now, it's evening. Pastor Doug shuts the laptop cover, and he moves slowly to his car. He'll stop by the house to grab a big a quick bite to eat. He needs to check on the Godsey family, and he will stay with them for a while, but he must leave prior to 7.30 while he's to give the invocation at the high school basketball game. Several people seek his attention at the game, so he doesn't get home till after 9. He goes into the, his small study at home. He shuts the door, and he begins to cry. Gary Godsey, the father and husband who was killed in the car accident, was Doug's best friend. This was the first chance Doug had to grieve. Now, not, I hope, your typical day for Pastor Tim, but I, can, I think we can see how elements of this day might be typical for a pastor. We have high expectations for our pastor. We want them to be involved in the community. We want them to come to our kids' games. We want their counsel. We need them to be there in the midst of crisis, among many other things. And, oh, yeah, by the way, we need them to prepare for their Sunday sermons and their teaching. Now, if I look, many of the pastor's activities in this story revolved around people in crisis. And while that accident certainly could not have been foreseen, the others probably could have been. And so it makes me wonder how much better could it have been if that worship leader had a group of men around him prior to this day? Could they have affirmed him and sharpened him well before it reached the point of him doubting his ministry? How about the man whose wife was cheating on him? How much better could it have been if both he and his wife had been surrounded by a couple or two to hold them accountable? Might his friends have shown him how he was neglecting his wife's needs? Might her friends have pointed out that unhealthy relationship that she was forming with that guy at work? Well, I can't say for sure that 100% of these crises would have been averted. I do know that the chances would have been much higher if others were involved. As I look out here today, it is a large group. And I am sure there are many of you that are lonely in this large group that you are not connected with anyone else that is here. I am confident that even among us who are connected, that, that, that we are hiding our sins and reaping the consequences of them. That there are many here that are hiding their hurts and their disappointments and their sorrow and are withering. So that what it adds up to is that there are many in crisis or that are many that are heading in that direction. I'm here to tell you this morning that the Christian life is not about misery after misery leading to crisis after crisis. That while there will be troubles in our life, the Christian life is one of hope 
and victory. And so it's my prayer today that, that we learn how to help each other live those lives of victory. That we avoid the fires that inevitably end up our pastor running around and putting out. And so with that, would you pray with me? Father God, you are good. Your word is good. Your plan for us is good. You're holy and amazing and awesome. God, I am inadequate to the task for today. I know it. God, you've been working in my heart through what I'm preaching on. But God, would you speak through me today um, for your glory, not for mine. That you would be lifted up, God, and that our hearts would be drawn to the plan that you have for this church. That we might become all that you want from us. That we would grow up. That we would become mature. Now we ask your blessings today. Would you just make me say what you want me to say? And nothing more. And nothing less. God, be glorified. And we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. As you can see, Ephesians 4, and yes, I know, and, and the pastors out there are probably cringing a little bit. I'm going to go from 1 through 16, right? Uh, so I would like to read Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, and then we'll, then we'll chat about it a little bit. It says, I, this being Paul, therefore a prisoner of the, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, and what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He descended is the one who ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to do the work of the ministry. Oh, wait a minute, sorry. Let me read that again. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Wow. What an amazing portion of Scripture. So filled, so filled with blessings for us. And, and, and there's weeks and weeks upon sermons and lessons contained in here. But what I'm going to do is take a slice of this that we can chew on 
uh, with a common theme and, and hopefully challenge us to grow as a body. I do want to take just a step back for here. There, there's kind of a, a parenthetical portion in this scripture um, when we're looking at 8 through uh, 10, right? And and it's it's a little bit differently written as Paul um, uh, quotes an Old Testament scripture. But, but what he's talking about here and what I want to remind you, uh, as I'm going to ask us to kind of be and do a lot, that, that the foundation of all of this has to be on Jesus Christ. The fact that he descended, he came to earth, he willingly left the glories of heaven, and he lived a perfect life here, and he took the death that you and I deserve. He bore that punishment for you and for me, and he didn't stay dead, and he rose again. And on that authority, we can do these things. So that is our foundation. That is, that is the mindset behind all of this. This is not a do-it-on-your-own-strength, be-good-to-be-good. No, this is because of what Christ has done. React in this way, and we have the power to do it. And so, let's begin I want to focus to start on 11 through 14. And I'm really going to answer kind of the question, why are we given pastors and teachers? If we look at this, it says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning or craftiness in deceitful schemes. If we look at this, God has given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, and then we have the shepherds and teachers. And it's interesting, the footnote in, in uh, just about every um, version that I read this in kind of puts those two together. And it, and it could be read and as pastor teacher or shepherd teacher. So it's kind of one office, if you will. Every commentary I read said it probably should be rendered this way. I'm curious why they don't, but it's okay. Um, so it's this office of shepherd teacher. And, and really, if we think about that, that is what Pastor Tim fills here. Yes, the elders, we are responsible to be shepherds of the flock. But Tim holds that special position where he is that shepherd teacher. And what's the purpose of that? The purpose of that is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's you and me who believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, who have repented from our sins and have turned to the newness of life. We are the saints. And Tim's job is to equip us for the work of ministry. We do the work of ministry. Well, why? So that the body is built up. Okay? This is a body that is encouraged, that is exhorted, that is continuing to grow, not torn down. We are equipped for ministry 
so that we have a, a unity of faith and understanding. That we understand the gospel, who Jesus Christ is, and who we are because of that. We're all on the same page. And then I love this next one. To maturity. I don't know about you, how I long to reach that maturity. And it's important that we notice that we use Christ as the measure of that maturity. Okay, you can kind of think of it kind of as the yardstick, if you will. I think maybe a, a, a cooking example, you take the full measure when you put a cup of flour in or sugar or whatever, maybe a little more if it's sugar. Okay? We, we take the full measure, and that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the full measure of Christ. That is our measure of maturity. And so we strive to that Christ-likeness. We live up. We live to the standard, the example that he set. And so why Christ is the measure of our maturity, part of that maturity is an understanding that we are sure of our doctrine. Now, there's a word that's kind of scary to some, but really it's, it's we know that we are mature, that we as a body are mature when we know what we believe and why we believe it. We are sure of our doctrine, a measure of maturity. And then, of course, why? So that we're not deceived by sin. That we don't fall into sin's traps. And so that is the equipping, the purpose of the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And so then I need to ask, is our Pastor Tim equipping us? I want you to think about it. What has he preached on the last several weeks? To my shame, I had to look in my wife's notes. And I'm going to get back to that too. But what has he preached on? He had get real and connect and get connected. Hebrews 10, being honest with God, with yourself and with others. He preached on temptation and truth, 1 Corinthians 10, about victory over temptation. He preached on repentance and confessions, Romans 2 and Revelations 3, a, a message that beautifully blessed me of the importance, the necessity of repenting and confessing. He spoke about relationships and communications in Deuteronomy 6 and how we communicate the truth. He spoke last week about success and wealth in Matthew 16 and encouraged us, exhorted us to pursue the eternal and not the temporal. And so I have to answer that question. Is Pastor Tim equipping us? It's a resounding yes. He is equipping us. The bigger question, because I can't just preach to Tim, it's for all of us, is are we listening to what God has placed on his heart for us? Are we listening to what God has placed on his heart for us? Let me read this. It's interesting Tim brought this up last week in his sermon. Of course, he only mentioned the part he was responsible for. Um, so uh, let me fill you in on the rest. Hebrews 13, 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. 
for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, when I, used to, when I read this verse, I, I used to, to look at it kind of like this. That I'm standing there and Tim's in front of me and he's saying, I want you to do this and I want you to do this and I want you to do this. And, and I was to be like, okay, Tim, I'll do it that way. All right? and, and for years I've read it in that respect. But, but really, I think we need to look at this in the context of a pastor's ministry. He is directing me weekly through his spirit-led sermons. Am I listening? Am I obeying God's word? Am I putting into practice what my leader has laid out for me? I want you to think about this. What would it be like if this entire church, everyone sitting here today, applied with fidelity what was preached each Sunday? What if we went home and we considered and we thought and we, and we prayed over and we read and reread the scripture that was given to us that week? What would it be like? How would we be growing as a body? How would we be challenging and encouraging each other? What effect would we have on this community? kind of joy would Pastor Tim have? You know, I said I had to I had to, to look in my wife's notes, which are extremely well organized electronically, uh, so it was very convenient. Um, really to my shame, I don't, maybe, maybe it's just me, but on Sunday afternoons I go home and take a nap. I have to. Okay, I go home and take a nap. Uh, oftentimes when I wake up, the morning's gone. It's gone. And it really seems that in and of myself, it's a struggle to continually consider and study over that repeated word of God and what was preached on Sunday. I need other people. I need others to be speaking into my life. They say, Matt, how are you doing? What have you been reading? I need that. And, and if you think about it, what are our formal times together? It's Sunday morning where someone is speaking to you. Sunday school when maybe we have some conversation if you engage but is that really enough? Is that sufficient for this body to grow to maturity? And I say this in love, but let me challenge you. If all that you are doing is coming here on Sunday mornings, it's not sufficient. And in reality, you are cheating this body of the growth that it could be having. So how do we do it? How does Big Woods do this thing? Well, I think we need to think small. What do I mean by that? If you look at our vision, our vision says to develop relationships so that God is glorified and lives, families, and the community are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
sometimes when I look at this vision, I think of the relationships only in the context that I am forming relationships so that I can share the gospel with others. And that is vital and absolutely necessary. In order for me to effectively share the gospel, I need to be in relationship with people. However, as I think about it, the gospel doesn't stop at salvation. The good news continues that we get to be born into the family of God. We get to become part of the body of Christ. We have the glorious opportunity to get to grow up together in Christ. That is good news. That is the gospel. That's where transforming can occur. In that process we call sanctification. I think this clearly coincides with 15 and 16. It says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's an awesome section of Scripture. I want to highlight a couple things. One, here the clear instruction is that we speak to one another the truth in love. Now, this is a great um, uh, guiding principle for how we should speak always. But in the context of this verse, it's really talking about you and me with each other. That we are speaking the truth to each other. That we are speaking that truth in love. If you notice in the next line, that we, we get to grow up into Christ. Together, we get to do that. What a blessing. How awesome is that. It also says that the body here is joined together at joints. Okay. How freaky would it be if my hand were like right here? And my arm was over here? And my shoulder back here? I mean, that would be weird. Right? It's like a horror movie. Which I advise you not to watch. Okay? Um, no, the, the, my hand's not over there. My arm's not over there. They, they're connected. They're connected in, in, at, at the joints, but it's not like a, 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 a loose... They're touching. They're, they're next to each other. That is a tight connection when it's working properly. I think in the same way, you and I and we need to be connected to each other. Not loosely connected, connecting tight, touching, involved. The Christian life was never intended to be a solo trip. The plan, the design that we would be in this together, that we would need each other. It talks about then this body with all its parts working properly. I have a, a good example. I coach my daughter's soccer team. Um, 
and it's good for the sermon illustration, not good for her. But we had we had one of our girls, she broke her leg. She's she's our sweeper. Okay, for all you football fans out there, that would be like a safety. Okay, they kind of take care of things at the back end. All right, and she was a necessary part of our team. Now, now her leg is broken. Now, can she get around? Yeah, she's got crutches. She can make do. She can stand there. She really can't kick a ball anymore. She can't do all of the things that she would be able to do if her body were working correctly. We take that further. You look at our team. She's gone from the team now on the field. And yes, we pulled a girl back and and filled her into that position. But our team is nowhere near what it could be if she were there and the whole team were working together well. I think that applies necessarily to us. That all of the parts of the body need to be working. And, And what that says to me about all of you and me is that we are all necessary. You are necessary for the growth of this body. And so again, don't cheat the growth of this body by not connecting. For whatever reason, fear or pride or selfishness, whatever, we need to be connected so that we are working properly. And the awesome thing is, is when we are working properly and and under the headship of Jesus Christ, we get to grow. And will that be a growth in numbers? Absolutely. But more importantly, it will be a growth to maturity of this body so that we're no longer swayed by the wiles of sin. We've reached, uh, reaching that full measure, that Christ-likeness. So practically, what does it look like? I've just got a couple. James 5.16. What does this together, this tightness, this connectedness look like? It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You look at this, confession is necessary. I think I heard that somewhere. Maybe, what, four weeks ago, three weeks ago? Confession is necessary, and prayer is powerful. But look at this. This is confession with the purpose of healing. We are to speak to one another truth and love. We are to confess to one another so that we can have aid and help in repenting and changing to bring healing. We respond in love by praying for somebody. How awesome is it that you and I can intercede on somebody else's behalf before the creator God of the universe? Is there not a greater love? (laughs) Amazing that we get to do that. And so I also think, what if you have somebody that just is not changing? They won't change, they won't change, they won't change. Do we believe in the power of prayer? Is there power coming before the creator God of the universe and interceding on somebody's behalf? You bet there is. There is great power as it is working. We look at Hebrews 3, 13. It says, but exhort one another 
Every day. Huh, I never caught that. Every day, exhort one another, as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so the encouragement here is that we exhort one another as a protection from the deceitfulness of sin. And as I thought of this, though, in the context of what we're talking about today, how can I know if my brother is being deceived by sin unless I am involved in his life? Because when I come to church and you ask me how am I doing, I'm fine. Aren't you? Right? How do you know what the struggles are? So in order for us to help each other, to exhort one another as a protection from sin, we must be, we must be involved in each other's lives so that we can see it. Very famous Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you say, see the day drawing near. Look at this. Stir one another up. Some, people, some versions say spur one another on. It's, it's kind of like a poking, a prodding. Almost an, an annoying, but I won't go that far. Okay, it, it's, 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 it's an intense, but what is it? It's a touching. It's an involvement in each other's lives as we encourage one another. Okay, these commands, all of them, demand that we are involved in each other's lives. We must be close to each other. We must be purposeful in, in, in our meetings with each other. We must be purposeful in acting in and speaking in to each other's lives. So, so where does this happen? Because it's a little, you know, hey, I want to speak in your life. Hey, I want to speak in your life. It, it's, you know, there is opportunity here for these things to happen. Biggs Woods uh, has home groups. This is really our primary structure for this kind of thing to at least start happening. Okay? In home groups, you have a small group of people that you get to study God's word with. You get to pray for each other. You get to help each other. It is, it is a primary place where this kind of close connected can happen. We also have Celebrate Recover group. Again, another group of people who are willing to reach in to others' lives. The women's ministry has had multiple announcements over the past uh, couple weeks uh, about faith friends. If you are unsure who to connect with, there's an avenue right there. Go to faith friends, or go to whoever the announcement says to go to. I want to be a part of that. You're connected. You're connected. It's set up. I, I know there are small groups that meet throughout the week and pray together. And that's their purpose. They get together, they pray. You can find one of those and join, or you know what? You can start one. Hey, Joe, Fred, let's get together Friday mornings and pray. I know there is one-on-one -on -one discipleship and prayer going on. Many people have done uh, the Multiply book together. You can do that. You can pick somebody. Hey, you can ask somebody, will you? I think one of the neatest places for this to happen is when you are ministering together. You know, and when we lost script, I, in first service, I don't know if you noticed the smile on my face when I was sitting back here this morning. How, how awesome was it to be here in the midst of my brother Scott in front of me, and my brother Dan behind me, and my brother Todd over here. 
what a blessing. And of course, you know, joy in my wife and Holly. It is incredible to minister together because I know that when we went to practice on Thursday, right, we practiced for, you know, half the time. And the other half of the time, we prayed for each other. And we goofed around a little bit, too. But that's okay. And I know that they were praying for me as I prepared for today. I look at, I look at the, the announcement that's happened over and over again. Hey, we need somebody to work the coffee bar. In reality, I think like three, five of you ought to be jumping down at that because now you have a golden opportunity. Every week at 7.30, I'm going to be here and I can chat it up with whoever's with me. And we can be like, hey, how's your week going? How's God been working in your life? What are you struggling with as you're putting coffee grinds in the, in the, in the coffee machine and cutting up cookies and whatever? Okay? The, the, I never make it down for the food, but... But it's that ministering together, and now I'm sharing as I minister. My encouragement to you in this is as I've spoken this, this Sunday, don't sit back and say, here I am, come meet with me. It is up to every single one of us to seek out, to get involved with a home group, to get involved with the ministry, to get involved with one person. And here's my encouragement too. If they say not now, either because that's not where they are, or because they're already ministering to four people and they can't do one more, seek somebody else out. If someone says yes and they let you down, will you continue to pray for them and you seek somebody else out? Don't cheat our body of its proper growth. Remember, it's not about you. The picture is bigger. So what's it look like? How's it all happen? In what context? And I'm going to go back. Paul started with this. I'm going to end with it. It says in, in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, I therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What an encouraging, exciting portion of Scripture. But it reminds us, it reminds us of what that body life looks like because people will fail you. Personalities will annoy you. But we remember our unified faith and hope. We remember that we are a fallen people, but we are a fallen people with a common hope. And so as we finish... We love our pastor. He's a blessing. And there are definitely times where we need that pastor by our sides. But remember, his purpose is to equip the saints, to equip us for the work of ministry. For us to be sharing the gospel and sharing in the gospel with each other. 
together. I think that sharing in, as I stated today, happens in the smallness of relationships. And so if you have a desire for this, to see this body grow, not only as we reach more people, but as we grow to maturity, we have to get involved. We have to get involved in each other's lives so that we're connected, touching, involved in each other's lives. So my question to you as we go out, who specifically do you need to connect to? How are you going to do it? Don't take a nap this afternoon. And forget about what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do right now. Also, if you're like me, I'm connected all over the place. I meet with the elders and the worship team. In reality, I struggle with being real. Opening up who I am. So my question to you is, if you are connected, who do you need to be real with? Who do you need to be purposeful to enable them to be real with you? Let's not leave here doing the same things over and over. Let's grow together. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for the opportunity the privilege and the responsibility to read your word before this congregation. God, would you continue to open our eyes to the people around us. God, that we would minister well. That we would be real as we're connected with each other. That we would grow up into maturity. God, that that as we as we, as we grow up in that maturity, those, those crises would be diminished because we're not being tossed to and fro and deceived by sin and reaping the consequences. God, I beg that you lead and guide us as I know you will. Give us hearts that are willing to follow. I praise you and thank you that I come before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the worship team. Now the worship team. Now the worship